0: Listening to SBS on the Money
1: with Ricardo Gonsalves. Coming up, returning to profitability, Qantas posts a fully record profit. We go through the latest reporting season numbers and the future of AI, the risks and rewards your business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 24th of August, 2023. Later in market day, we'll speak with Damien Bowie from Baron Joey on the future of AI. But first to today's lead story, which is that of Qantas, a full year profit of $1.74 billion. That's a major turnaround after three years of losses related to the COVID-19 pandemic. For a detailed look, I spoke with aviation analyst Jeffrey Thomas. Jeff, a lot has been said about Qantas's brand being tarnished because of diminishing customer service along with the experience, yet the airline posted a full year profit of $1.75 billion. What does that say about the company?
0: That's an interesting question. Uh, Qantas has posted an, uh, an incredible profit, but certainly through the COVID pandemic and coming out of the COVID pandemic, Qantas, like all aviation uh, companies around the world, airlines and manufacturers and suppliers, uh, have had a very rocky road, a very rocky flight path um, as they've tried to put the pieces back together. And certainly Qantas, like all airlines, has upset passengers, delays in refunds, problems with credits, long wait on phones. But that hasn't stopped people from travelling. People absolutely want to travel. And with the shortage of capacity in the market, that's driven fares up. And so, yes, they have uh, reaped uh, a huge a profit. Mind you, that comes after uh, three years of losses, and they've lost a cumulative $7.5 billion. So, yes, it's wonderful to see them return to profit. Um, sure, passengers have been aggrieved. Um, staff have been had a disruptive time. So it, it's been a terribly challenging time, but I, I think that things are getting back to normal now uh, and over the next 12 months, hopefully we'll return to pre-COVID um, uh, travel as we knew it.
1: From my understanding, Alan Joyce will need to face uh, a parliamentary committee on the rising cost of living uh, around the economy. Um, mm-hmm. We know that ticket prices have been rising. Um, is it fair to say that one of the main reasons for that is that group capacity, I guess, is still at pre-COVID levels, 77% of pre-COVID levels. Um, international um, um, airfares, uh, Alan Joyce said that even after adjusted for inflation is up 10%. So does Qantas mm. really have the ability to fly more and could that potentially um, see a fall in airfares? Look,
0: uh, a couple of things with with, uh, uh, Alan Joyce appearing before the uh, government. One question that I would ask is why are holidays and ticket prices in the cost of living in the first place? It should be bread, milk, fuel, the basics of life, not the disposable income issues. And I'm perplexed by that, why it's there in the first place. But getting back to the issue about the the cost of flying, certainly it's taken a long time to get aircraft back into service. For instance, the A380, it requires 4,000 man hours to get it out of the desert. Then it has to go into major maintenance because it hasn't been flying for over 12 months. And there's only a few places in the world that can do that. So Qantas is still getting A380s back uh, from from, uh, restoration from the desert and from uh, heavy maintenance. Um, And that problem has impacted airlines right across the world. Uh, You can't ground 14,000 planes for nearly two years and then suddenly bring them all back to life. It just doesn't happen. Um, And this is possibly one of the things that's not understood by governments and not understood by the the travelling public. Uh, it's been a very slow process. It's a painful process. And it's like we're putting back together a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. We're about 3,000 pieces into it, and we've got another 2,000 pieces to go uh, before we have our jigsaw puzzle back together. Um, it's been a very turbulent time, a very challenging time, and uh, 46 million people in aviation and tourism lost their jobs through COVID. So it's been terribly disruptive.
1: I don't want to necessarily dwell dwell on the parliamentary committee because it hasn't happened yet and we don't really know exactly what they're going to be talking about. However, one would assume that there might be some questions about whether or not Qantas was deserving of that $2.7 billion government handout, especially when you look at this billion-dollar profit. Look,
0: that's a very, very good question, the, the $2 billion or $2.7 billion uh, that Qantas got. Now, we, we have to put this in perspective. Uh, I know there's been a lot of publicity around it, um, but $1 billion of it at least was given to Qantas to keep its network operating through the darkest times of covid when virtually no passengers were flying because borders were closed, we needed the we needed the connectivity to continue for cargo, for essential folks um, to move around the country. Now, certainly Qantas got that money. Lufthansa was loaned 15 billion dollars. Singapore Airlines 12 billion dollars. Now, if Qantas was to have kept all its staff on through COVID it would have required government assistance of a minimum of $12 billion because that's what their salary bill would be normally over two years. So, sure, they got that money. It it helped keep them flying. But at the same time, it pales compared to what other airlines of similar size around the world were granted by their governments.
1: Back on ticket prices, um, do you think there is enough competition here in Australia? A lot has been said about Qatar um, being unable to fly more into Australia, and then there are these claims, mainly from Sydney airports, of uh, gate hoarding by the incumbents, um, uh, stopping other airlines from flying into Australia or using that to, to increase competition. Look, the
0: competitions are very. Uh... Really, really in focus at the moment. Domestically, I, I believe we have got enough airlines in this in, in Australia for the size of our population. Internationally, the issue is quite different. Um, and what we're facing here is that many airlines are not coming back to Australia. Uh, it, it depends on where you are in Australia. For instance, in Perth, Western Australia, uh, Garuda has said we're not coming back. Thai International said we're not coming back. Balancing that, you've got other airlines that are like Vietnam and Vietjet who are going to come uh, either back uh, into Australia or, you know, adding new destinations like, for instance, Perth. Um, but the capacity, the number of flights that other airlines are operating into the country is not what it used to be either. And there's big question marks as to whether they will fully return to their previous levels of service. Um, so I, I think the government should have a really good hard look at this Qatar decision, uh, I believe uh, that they should be allowed to increase the number of services, particularly when you've got Qantas's long-term plan, which starts to come to fruition at the end of next year, of flying non-stop to Europe from Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, not going through the Middle East uh, or, through, or through Singapore. Um, so what Qatar is offering is something quite different to what Qantas is going to is offering now, and is going to offer particularly in a year's time. So, I, I think the government needs to relook really at that, and certainly Qatar would definitely bring prices down.
1: That's Jeffrey Thomas, there, aviation expert, yeah. talking about Qantas's fully profit one point seven four billion dollars. Here is more of my interview with him. We spend a moment talking about what these results potentially mean or say, says about the economy, because, um, Alan Joyce did say that a high proportion of Qantas frequent flyer members are prioritizing travel over, over other spending habits. However, at the same time, he says that, um, most of his members, most of his frequent flyer members are medium and high affluent members or in terms of, you know, they've got, they've got more disposable income. So is it really a barometer of the general economy and the cost of living um, pressures being faced?
0: Look it's a very good point. Um, yes I mean flying uh, particularly at the moment is is something where you do have to have some some uh, additional cash in your back pocket because it is more expensive um, and and I would balance that also in the international context of saying one of the reasons we need people like Qatar to come in and others. To bring more capacity into the market is we need those backpackers back, and a lot of backpackers aren't travelling at the moment from overseas because the fares are too high, and we need them for restaurants, for coffee shops, for fruit picking, and other things like that. So it's it's a that's another dynamic to this uh, to the economy. But back to Alan Joyce's point, certainly uh, at the moment uh, the majority of flyers are people who are reasonably well off. Although, having said that, people's desire to travel is, is unprecedented, uh, and, it's, and in many cases, it's, it's a matter of connecting with family members. Um, and when, it, when it's a matter of connecting with a family member, a son, a daughter, a granddaughter for the first time, um, no money money's not an object. Uh, it soon will be, as as that pent up demand abates. Um, but uh, it's just it's just ter- terribly challenging as as far as the fares are concerned.
1: Two final questions. Um, this is Alan Joyce's last financial result. How would you rate his tenure as CEO?
0: Oh, uh, look, I know he's a, he can be a very divisive figure. Uh, the union movement don't like him uh, because he had to do some restructuring of Qantas. But the airline industry lords him as probably one of the best airline CEOs in the world. He has, he has done something that no other airline CEO has ever been able to achieve, and that is he launched uh, and was running Jetstar uh, from scratch as a low-cost airline within the structure of a legacy carrier. Many airlines have tried it. None have succeeded. He has and then he took Qantas' share price when he came on board as the CEO in 2008. He, um, he took that share price from $0.99 cents up to $6, and before COVID it was 7 dollars 5 Now, that's a, that's a $10 billion boost to, to the value of the shares and, and the resultant dividends, and those dividends – flow through to the shareholders of Qantas, which in many, many cases are superannuation funds, which flows through to the general public. So uh, he's done an amazing job. Um, I know that there are some folks that uh, don't think so, but within the airline industry, he gets top marks.
1: Final question. Vanessa Hudson's taking over as CEO. What do you see as uh, Vanessa's biggest challenges?
0: Well, she's got a very hard act to follow, mind you. She's got the credentials; uh, she really does, uh, and she uh, she has been the chief financial officer all the way through COVID. So she's had the incredibly difficult job of of uh, navigating through that minefield of of uh, issues. Um, I think going forward, uh, she'll have a different style to Alan. Um, I think she may be a little bit more inclusive. Um, I mean, Alan's very focused on 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 what he believes is right. I think uh, Vanessa's a little bit more inclusive. She also has to oversee the the biggest refleeting in Qantas's history uh, to replace and grow the airline. And the other thing that she faces is ensuring the airline meets its sustainability goals as the the airline industry moves towards zero emissions in 2050. So a lot of the decisions that she will make um, will impact uh, its ability to reach that goal in 2050.
1: Aviation expert Geoffrey Thomas there. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for information. Now, market day on the SBS On The Money podcast. Still got market day to go. The S&P ASX 200 today stronger by half percent 7,182. For more, I spoke with Damien Bowie. He is from Baron Joey. Damien, a good day for the markets. What's driving the gains today?
2: Yeah, a couple of things. So uh, we had some very strong overnight leads. Um, that was partly because bonds rallied, as in bond yields went down. Um, So people started to think a lower discount rate would be good for stock valuations. Uh, And the second thing uh, was after market hours in the US, uh, the NVIDIA result was just a blinder. Uh, So we've carried through on that. Um, And of course, we've had some earnings results today, um, you know, on balance positive, but uh, it was still mixed.
1: Can we go more into more detail about NVIDIA. I mean, the fact that it's um blown everyone out of the water in terms of fit sales forecast the results um, overnight as well, it came after the markets closed. So we'll have to wait until tomorrow, US time, to see how investors react. But what do you think that says about the investment potential in AI since NVIDIA makes these AI types of chips?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's huge. Now, I'm, I'm not a tech expert, uh, but, you know, as you said, this is a great result. Uh, there were beats across the board. Uh, you know, we've seen successive and consecutive beats from this company. So it seems to be able to string this along. It's always uh, surprising us to the upside. Uh, and fundamentally, there is something to generative AI um, in, in terms of productivity, disruption potential and the like. I guess the issue is, uh, twofold. there are two issues. One is um, that uh, NVIDIA and chip supply and all of that kind of assumes Uh, that chip supply is relatively free-flowing, so we don't have too much geopolitical uh, disruption uh, to be able to support that. So that's number one. Uh, The second thing is, um, as great as the thematic is, uh, we also need to consider that there is, in fact, a price for everything, um, even for very good companies. Um, So the problem is, um, in the last uh, little while, bond yields have gone up, and NASDAQ valuations have also gone up. Um, Now, that's a bit of a disconnect because usually the two are negatively related, Uh, Narrative buyers into AI, they won't care about the price. Uh, But really, what these buyers are saying is that the AI narrative goes really far. It goes beyond productivity and disruption at a micro level. And it morphs into this bigger narrative about disinflation and lower for longer rates long term, so that we can make the bond yields go down to support the current valuations. Now, I'm not really sure that at this stage we can go that far because bond yields are back up at 4.2% uh, and they've defied expectations for them to decline uh, on disinflation. Uh, so definitely watch this space. Um, it's a great fundamental story. Uh, the only issue is geopolitics um, as well as the fact that bond yields are going in the wrong direction for them.
1: Okay, another big day for profit reporting season. I mean, I'm not sure how or uh, if you're looking at any company specific results today, um, if you yeah. are, which ones? But we've also passed the halfway mark in terms of reporting season.
2: What do you think the themes have been as well? Yeah, yeah no worries. Um, so in terms of results today, uh, probably the standout miss uh, is Ramsey. Um, so it missed across the board, um, dividends, earnings, even everything missed, um, and it offered some pretty mixed guidance for 24 now, um that's a company uh, where a lot of people were negative anyway but um you know this update has actually uh, not encouraged anyone um to 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 stop being negative on the stock uh, so you know it, it's it's there it was a big miss um another one that was interesting with La Visa, Um so this is a smaller cap stock um, usually we don't pay as much attention to this uh it offered some fairly mixed uh financial year 23 performance indicators um so that's okay uh, but it also offered a soft trading update now, uh, this is really quite interesting because um, we see from the macro data uh, that the consumer is quite weak right now. Uh, the banks are telling us that. Uh, but from the individual company reports, you actually don't get the same picture. Uh, it suggests that, yes, it is soft, but not as bad as what the macro data is suggesting. Uh, so the LaVisa result and the trading update really just throws another spanner into the works of where exactly is the consumer, uh, and that's kind of why we're interested in that. Uh, in terms of BEATS, uh, Medibank, uh, that was a beat across the board, uh, and it offered slightly positive guidance for FY '24. So we like the stock. Uh, Tabcorp is another one uh, that we like. Uh, it offered an upside earnings surprise, uh, but most importantly, um, in a fairly competitive environment where it's trying to get market share, uh, it actually gave evidence of successful transformation into a di- digital business um, to better, you know, touch base with uh, consumers, better connect with them. So that was a good result, uh, and the stock's up accordingly. And the last one, which I think is kind of interesting, uh, is Stocklands. Um, it actually offered a moderate upside earnings surprise, uh, but more importantly, it suggested that uh, in terms of its future settlements, uh, a leading indicator as to what's to come for the construction cycle and the development cycle, there's a 7% uplift there. Uh, now, the, the market hasn't really rewarded Stocklands for that, partly because REITs have actually had a bit of a good run recently, uh, but it is an interesting uh, little snippet of information uh, for us in terms of gauging the macro outlook. Uh, so they're kind of five results that I'm looking at today. Now, uh, in terms of how I would judge reporting season so far, uh, yes, we're halfway through. If you take a rear view mirror approach, so just looking at the results from FY23 or half yearly updates, um, generally speaking, they're better than expected. Uh, You're finding at least uh, twice as many earnings per share beats as you see misses. Uh, So that's good. However, if you're looking forward uh, at the guidance, it's actually the reverse picture. Uh, There are many more guidance misses uh, than there are actually beats. Uh, So this is a bit of an issue. Uh, Partly it is due to companies uh, deciding to be conservative with the guidance. Uh, Partly it's because of the uncertainty about the environment. But there are thematics which are weighing. Uh, So one, of course, is the state of the consumer, uh, the state of the economy, uh, volumes. Uh, But the other thematics which are popping up have got to do with cost pressures. Um, So you've seen, uh, for example, uh, a company like Coles the other day, Uh, has come out, uh, and it's actually offered a a fairly chunky miss because of costs, uh, and in particular, theft. Um, So basically, because it's been trying to, um, I guess, um, optimise labour in in an environment where it's hard to get workers uh, and it's expensive to get workers, uh, they've basically uh, gotten everyone to go through scanners, uh, and that's actually afforded people the opportunity to steal. Uh, and that's actually been a really chunky uh, share of gross margins, something like 0.8% of their margins, uh, which is nothing to be sneezed at. Um, so it's a very clear example of cost pressures coming in uh, to impact the stock, which we all know and love. Um, some companies are managing the cost pressures well, uh, because they're also beneficiaries of easing supply chain pressures globally. Uh, but not everyone is so lucky and it's clearly a thematic. Uh, one of the things uh, that I've been surprised by is actually even in the in the financial sector, in the banking sector, Uh, costs outside of interest costs have been a big issue. Uh, So I think that's going to be uh, an ongoing issue for as long as we've got tight labour markets, tight capacity in our economies. Related to this, a second thematic is uh, the market as a whole has underestimated the impact, the direct impact of higher interest rates on corporate profits. Um, So you've seen this in a number of the uh, property uh, type exposures, uh, but you've also seen it in a fair number of industrials as well uh, that have floating rate debt. And so if you don't think that interest rates are going to be falling in a hurry, well, this is going to be something that will roll forward to the period ahead. Uh, So cost pressures from labour costs, as well as um, interest costs, uh, they're big thematics here.
1: And with all of that in mind, and quite briefly, are there any opportunities for investors?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So um, last time we came onto the show, I was basically talking about insurance and energy. Um, and that was purely based on macro views, and we still like these sectors. Uh, but I guess the question is, how has reporting season updated our views? Um, now, we've seen a number of stocks um, that have actually run quite hard into their results, and then subsequently on the results, they've come off. Um, we've seen a lot of these in the so-called growth space in names like ResMed, Seek, Domain, WiseTech, A2 Milk. Um, we've also seen cost pressures hit uh, even the safer end of town, like Coles has discussed, So it hasn't been a good strategy to buy growth or defensiveness at any price in this. Um, So if we go back to the discussion about NVIDIA, there is a price for everything. Uh, Bond yields are higher uh, than they were a few months back. So the hurdle for earnings to beat uh, and support stock prices is actually getting higher, um, especially when you've got these cost pressures in an uncertain growth environment. Uh, That's the reason why we think uh, value investing still offers some protection. uh, And insurance and energy are still very deep in the value bucket. Uh, stocks have rallied recently, but I think that there's still more to go. Uh, insurance stocks aren't priced for the higher for longer rates environment, and I don't think rates are falling anytime soon. Now, resources are clearly exposed to China, and China is looking pretty weak at the moment, admittedly. But there are also some plays within the complex on structural inflation, which I think we'll get some thoughts on at Jackson Hole this week. Um, so we like stocks that would benefit uh, from decarbonisation and deglobalization, especially when you're talking about energy, uh, lithium and base metals. Now, if you like defensives, obviously the universe that we can invest in that's clean uh, has obviously tightened up. Uh, but some of the names which we think are interesting out there are Telstra, EBOS, uh, Helios, Cochlear, and Mekesh.
1: Damien Bowie there from Baron Joey.
0: This SBS on the Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only.